Good morning, Cornerstone. Good morning, Cornerstone. You guys are so easy. I'm Pastor Bill, and, um, and I want to say to everybody here, um, I've met six people here this morning who are here for the first time. And that means there's more than that. I want to encourage, first of all, for those of you who are here for the first time, we love that you're with us. We're actually honored that you would worship Jesus with us. For all the rest of us, be looking for, I mean, you don't know who's new, so you have to greet everybody as if they're new, and then never ask them, you know, whether they're new. Ask them how long have you been coming here, and then you'll find out if it's their first Sunday or if they've been here for six years. All right, as we were singing um, the, the last song of I Will Adore Him, I sensed the Lord just ask me to remind all of us that when we adore Jesus, God adores us. I sense God wanted to remind me to remind you that God actually adores every single one of you. All right, we are in the second message in our series of going back in order to go forwards. And today we're going to be dealing with going back and dealing with some of our family of origin issues in order to be able to go forward more boldly with Christ. And so we have a guest speaker today, and I'm going to read you just a little bit about, this is not to embarrass him, but I want you to know a little bit about um, Charlie Self. Charlie actually works with, um, he's, he, I think he works with like 100 organizations. I haven't figured that part out. But I know him because of his connection with the Made to Flourish Pastors Network. And he's in charge of, of expanding this network of helping pastors flourish so that pastors will help their cities flourish. And 25 cities now? Um, that he's been developing um, networks. But here's what's going to blow you away. Um, this is his, his education background, okay? MA in history on the church and social change in Latin America, PhD in modern European history with foci on Belgian Protestantism and studies in virtue, ethics, and the Holocaust. And then he's got another master's in philosophical and systematic theology. All right, you would think a guy like that wouldn't be able to communicate with normal people, but I've been in a couple meetings with this guy over the last, um, last couple days, and I wasn't, I, I mentioned this earlier to somebody, I wasn't sure that I wanted somebody outside to come and talk to us about starting to look at our family of origin and what we need to deal with, until I, I talked to Charlie and I said, send me an outline or an idea of what you would talk about, and he sent me this really, some really cool concepts and then what really did it for me, he said, this is very personal for me. So, Charlie Self, would you come and talk to us and lead us from God's Word? Good morning. What a delight to be here. And this is the first time I have been in this area since I was two years old. I was born in Framingham. And... Uh, and I have a particular love for all of you in the medical profession because I was one kilo when I was born. And I was three months early. I've been early ever since, and I married a woman who's late all the time, so it works out. <laughs> um, but uh, my, my dad and grandpa went to Harvard, and dad did a little work at an obscure school called MIT. And, um, but we, mostly West Coast, uh, moved out for aerospace, and I grew up on the West Coast. And God's taken my wife and I in a variety of settings and cultures and places in our uh, now coming up to 38 years of marriage and ministry together. 
And uh, yeah, we got, we got married really young. <laughs> By the way, we actually got married during spring break. I don't encourage that. <laughs> um, no, but we actually got, uh, I remember doing, uh, just, to, just to date myself further, I did my last blue book final exam, handwritten. Dinosaurs roamed the earth and there were no computers, okay? And then we had our rehearsal and a wedding and a wonderful honeymoon and then went right back to finish school and get ready for uh, going overseas. But I'm really delighted to be with you and I'm honored to be part of a series that I think is a brilliant concept because we're not going back with nostalgia like the good old days but going back for wisdom so that we can go forward with health. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 4 to 14. And it'll be up on the screen in just a moment. I'm going to read it from the Bible, but you can, I'd like you to read it with me on the screen, and we'll see how it all coordinates together. Um, one of my mentors said the best part of any message is the reading of God's Word. Um, and I, I think it's true. So let's look at St. Paul and how he speaks to going back to go forward. Philippians chapter 3, I'll begin reading with verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, and you can join on the screen with me, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul could look around and say, I'm faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has took, taken a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In our text, we have an interesting paradox here. Paul gives us his resume, and it's a pretty impressive one. And he says, now, that resume, it's nothing compared to Christ, but here's the paradox. In fact, I got mad at Paul when I first read this. He renounces his resume, says Christ is everything, and then the rest of his life he uses all of his resume to serve Christ. We are all, have, we all have a family history and a personal identity. And there's four things that we all participate in and inherit. First of all, we're part of a culture, both a family culture and a geographical culture. We inherit culture. I told a group this morning, I inherited 
an intellectual culture. And uh, when I was five years old, I could tell you the presidential platforms in the 1964 election. And when I was nine years old, I was doing original research for fun while my friends were making teepees. Um, and uh, there, was a, there was someone I wouldn't talk to in my fifth grade class because her parents voted for the wrong person. By the way, I've been delivered, okay? But I grew up, I mean, you ask my dad a question, he'd bring seven books to the table. In fact, my kids said, don't ask Grandpa Dave questions. He'll bring eight books to the table. Now, I want to give honor to him. He passed away recently, and I'm so grateful for that, but I inherited a culture. We also inherit our ethnic heritage. There are attributes of the cultural groups that we're part of, and we inherit that. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. My parents were Aramaic-speaking Jews. So, I mean, I've got the bloodline, too. Now, like many Americans, I have so many bloodlines, it's hard to keep track of them. Um, but we all inherit that. We also um, inherit religious background or philosophical background. Maybe you didn't grow up religious particularly, um, but you inherited some kind of worldview, some kind of way to see the world. And in my case, it was going to church that was a 55-minute break between cigarettes. It was boring, by the way. I got a nap for 55 minutes every Sunday until I became a Christian as a young adult. And so I inherited a certain kind of religion, a certain kind of culture, ethnicity, and much, much of it positive, but some of it broken. And then we also inherit education. I've already mentioned that glory and pathology all at once. And we inherit those things. And Paul says, here's my resume. But there's something else about who we are from our past. We are beautiful people. And we're broken. All at the same time. I want you to keep that phrase in your mind. Lord, thank you for the beauty that was poured into my life as I grew up. And Lord, thank you that you're the healer of what was broken as I grew up. You know, it's interesting, we have a heritage. I remember my grandfathers and what they passed on and my great-grandfather. My, my great-grandfather was Charles Percival Everett, a famous rare book dealer. By the way, I'm so glad I got Charles Everett and not Percival. I'm glad I inherited some of that. But we also inherit heartaches, don't we? I remember I was eight years old, and I was looking at my dad's Harvard um, yearbooks, and my dad was a good-looking dude. And, and then he had a full head of hair. When I was a kid, he didn't. Full head of hair, and he went as a really young man. He was 16 when he went there in 1944. And um, I said, Mom, Dad was really good-looking like he's an old guy now. And then my mom said, yeah, he was. It's a shame you're not as good-looking as he was. <laughs> well, at eight years old, you don't care about that. Girls have cooties. You don't care about any of that. But when I turned 13, I didn't like to look in the mirror. And when I was 17 and my family went through a really horrific crisis, my mom left my dad, and I helped raise my six-year-old little brother. I was the mediator between my two parents. By then, I was in a wonderful church, and I'll share about that in a minute. 
but I remember not liking to look in the mirror. And the Lord used some wonderful women and men, some mature people, to begin to rebuild how I saw myself. I, there's still lots of improvement to come, I hope, but I no longer hate looking in the mirror anymore. As a dear old father in the faith said, Charlie, you're more than your brain. God loves you, delights in you. Pastor Bill gave a prophetic word because as I sat on the front row, I felt the Lord saying he wants us to know how much he delights in us. And I began to learn that at 17. I'm still learning that. We all have a heritage. I'm forever, by the way, my mom and dad love me. I don't want to give a picture of them as somehow always saying negative things, but isn't it amazing what can stay with you? We also have heartaches. We can have deep appreciation for our family, and yet we can also have aspects where we're ashamed, where there's been real difficulty and real hurt. From our families, we can get encouragement, and then just from life, it's going to give us rejection. Um, I know what it's like to be picked first or last for sports teams. I was all league as a point guard my freshman year in high school. Steph Curry had nothing on me. <laughs> and the next year I rode the bench. Because by the way, when you're still five foot six, 135 pounds of solid rippling muscle and cannot dunk, you don't go far. I remember the feeling of being on top of the world and then I remember the feeling of getting splinters on the bench. Now those are mild things, but we have those kinds of experiences, don't we? And that's what we inherit from our family. In Australia, there was a man named Peter Daniels. And he was third generation poverty. Working class, welfare, just barely making ends meet of that. And his fourth grade teacher said, Peter Daniels, you'll never amount to anything. And he believed it. He later got married, had a couple of kids, tried different things and didn't succeed. And at 28 years old, he thought, I guess I just need to settle into hoping my kids do better. And then he walked into Cornerstone Church, or church like Cornerstone, and he heard this phrase Peter, you're a child of the King. And something happened inside. Peter passed away just a little while ago, but before he did, he was consultant to presidents, corporations around the world. People paid 10000 a year for 15 minutes of his time every month. He said, I'm a child of the king. And he found his gifts, and he found his callings, and he found his place in God's plan. And all of those old tapes began to be healed. We have lots of victories as kids, but we can also have lots of defeats. That's what we get from our past. Well, how do we go back to go forward? How do we take this beauty and this brokenness and then bring it forward so that we can be all that God's designed us to be? By the way, if you're newer to Cornerstone or maybe even newer to the faith, we want you to know that the Christian faith is the opposite of every other religious system. You see, in the Christian faith, God's grace embraces us as we are. 
granting us an eternal assurance that we belong to him. He gives us a new identity. And then he says, I'm going to teach you to live like your new identity. Have you ever noticed that, uh, that Americans like to watch the British royal family? Our Constitution prohibits royal titles. But we love the soap opera, don't we? In fact, I'm kind of happy. It looks like, it looks like a couple of them are even turning into adults. It's really kind of exciting. But they were born royal and had to learn to live like it. By the grace of God, we've been born again into a living hope, given a new identity, but we have some learning to know how to live like that. To use the old fairy tale, I'm really glad the prince kissed the frog, <laughs> turned us into royalty, but we've got to get the swamp out of us. We've got to learn how to leave behind those things that can hinder and assume that new identity and responsibility that makes us who we really are. It's interesting, um, going back to go forward. Well, first of all, we need to see clearly. You know, it's interesting how, how my excellent basketball career can go from, frankly, just pretty average to I, I scored the winning championship. Um, we can sometimes over-exaggerate or we can sometimes misperceive. We need to see clearly both the woundedness and the goodness of what we've received from our families and our life experiences. We need to see clearly. And by the way, no culture system, no, no culture or system or is neutral. It's beautiful and it's broken. There's beauty in every culture and there's brokenness because of the fallen world that we live in. We also need, by the grace of God, to forgive completely. And I want to pause here a minute. It was about 30 years ago, people would, would say words like, you need to forgive others and forgive yourself, like you've been forgiven by God. And I would kind of go along and say, yeah, amen. And, and then C.S. Lewis, the great British writer, said, forgiving is not excusing. And I had this quantum leap moment. Oh, that person really did hurt me. That really was wrong. And forgiveness is this amazing thing where I no longer treat them as if they'd done that. That's what God in Christ did for me. Or put it more bluntly, there's no rap sheet in heaven toward us but we keep one on others and ourselves. Now, my wife and I have a perfect marriage. And I just read about the, the lake of fire for liars, so I've got to be careful about this. Practically perfect marriage. We have a wonderful marriage. But one of the things God has helped us to do, and we made a covenant, is that when we have a moment of disagreement, and we do have to work through things, we never bring up a prior mistake. I notice in counseling people, the husband wants to buy a truck and the wife wants to buy new furniture and they're arguing and then all of a sudden you hear phrases like, you always and you never. And somebody brings up something from five years ago. And pretty soon you've gone from do we buy a truck to an emotional wreck. Now, 
Forgiveness means that we want for others what we've received from Christ for ourselves. It doesn't mean that we forget mentally or the hard drive's erased. To all of the computer scientists in here, I want to just let you know God doesn't erase the hard drive. I wish he would sometimes. But he does, by the grace of Christ, put forgiven on those traumas and difficulties and rejections. And this morning, there's a grace in this room for us to forgive those who've hurt us. But there's another side of forgiveness. Can we forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we've made, small or large? Am I the only one that does something foolish and then I just beat myself up for it? I'm sorry, I, I, I thought I'd gotten to level seven, of, level seven of holiness. But there are times I, I'll do something or think something and I'll just kind of start beating myself up. We need to both forgive others, but we also need to forgive ourselves. That's part of going back to going forward. Let me share it on a practical level. Sometimes God gives us amazing experiences. One Sunday night service in church, a wonderful woman was speaking about the love of God. And I was enjoying it. I'm on the front row taking notes. My nickname was the scribe. I always was taking notes. And by the way, this is back in the day when people spoke for 90 minutes. I had 12 pages of notes. But in the middle of this, she stopped and she said, you know, there's a young man here that needs to forgive his mother. So I started praying for the young man. Oh, God bless that young man. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit kind of goes, guess who it is? And again, my mom hadn't done super grievous things, but there were a series of things. I was, I was 17 years old. And with tears and with joy and with the prayers of others around me, I blessed my mom. And I said, Lord, I, I forgive those words and I forgive some of those things that she didn't mean to pass on but did. And I felt that joy of the grace of Christ in my life. And one month later, my mom left my dad. I won't say I was able to handle it all, but I was ready to keep loving but then I had to forgive myself, too, for words or deeds that were hurtful or unkind or less than what God had for me. Would you mind, in the middle of a sermon, could we just take a moment and could we bless someone that may have caused us pain? And could we also receive grace for ourselves? Would you join me in prayer? Father, this morning, we don't want to hear without doing your word. And so, Lord, I ask for my sisters and brothers and for me that if there's anyone currently whose mistakes or wounds still impact us deeply, Lord, we don't excuse it. We may need further counsel to understand it, but today we put a, we just want to put a deep good root in the ground of our lives and say, Lord, forgive them. Whether they knew or didn't know what they were doing, we ask that you would have mercy on them and that we would no longer let their mistake determine our future. 
And then, Lord, today we also bring to you those regrets and mistakes that we've made. And we confess to you, Lord, we have fallen short. We have. But according to your word, Jesus, you're our advocate. You're our advocate, not our accuser. And so we receive grace for those words and deeds, thoughts and feelings that were contrary and have perhaps hurt ourselves or hurt others. And in your grace, O oh God, we ask that you continue to refine us, continue to help us be more like you. Thank you for the liberty. Would you begin to thank him right now for the freedom of forgiveness? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, going back to the future also means that we understand strongholds that we inherit. Second Corinthians chapter 1, by the way, that word stronghold is kind of an odd word, but let me give you a new one. Those negative mindsets, ideologies, ways of thinking that are different than what Jesus has in mind. We all inherit those, both from our family. So for me, making it personal, I grew up in a very culturally diverse neighborhood. Hungarian refugees across the street, Holocaust survivors behind me, Rudy Rodriguez and his brother with a garage band that was ter sang the Rolling Stones terribly, uh, Sheila Pennell and her and, and African-American family. I mean, just a wonderful little UN on my little street in Santa Maria, California. But woe to you if you had bad grammar and weren't well-educated. I had prejudices strongholds toward people with slow-talking southern accents. By the way, I have a lot of southern family, so I've had to repent a lot. I'm saying this using a little humor to make a point that whether it's political ideology or cultural ethnocentrism or just philosophies that we inherit, we need to let the Lord break off from us anything that would keep us from thinking Christianly and from walking in the peacemaking and justice of Jesus Christ. That's part of what it means to go back and go forward. And then receiving grace for liberation. We can be free. I had the honor. Uh, I mentioned my wife and I getting married during spring break. A year later, we were in Belgium as missionaries, and we were student life directors, and I was a professor at a Bible college in Belgium with 27 different nations. And you know what I discovered? There are Christians who think differently than Americans. You're supposed to chuckle politely. I mean, my Dutch, my Dutch Pentecostal friends didn't like NATO very much, and my Serbian friends had a different view of economics, and my French friends had a different view of how church should be done. And my world just got bigger. And I, I love my country, but my world got bigger. And God broke not, not the love for my country or community, but the stronghold of how much I had combined my own culture with Christianity and needed to be free. By the way, those 27 nations, it was just amazing. I was also deeply humbled by people who spoke three, four, and five languages, and I was learning to speak French and Dutch. And I'm still learning to speak English if you talk to my wife. 
It was an amazing moment. So taking a couple more steps this morning, I'd like to share with you from Philippians chapter 2, if you'll go back a chapter in Philippians with me, I'd like to share a pathway of how we can begin to let go of the past even further and begin to step into the future with greater health. Um, one day in my, one of my uh, houses that we lived in, in Silicon Valley, uh, we just moved to Denver from Silicon Valley and we're really enjoying the Rockies and the beauty. I'm enjoying being one airport away from all of you instead of two or three. Um, but in, our, in the house we had, it was an older house with a septic system. And so we had to have somebody come in and repair the main line that would take all the stuff out to the septic field in our backyard. His name was Ray. And so Ray was working away, and he literally had to go under the ground and do some stuff. And when he came out of the ground, Ray looked like the swamp thing. I mean, head to toe covered. And I had, a, I had to write a big check. I was tempted to put another zero on there. Just, I mean... Folks, I want to give you that image because when Paul says, folks, we need to put off the old nature and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to have that image. We all inherit the stuff, but by grace daily, we can take off the swamp thing. We can take off those things and we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ in holiness and forgiveness and joy. I wish it all happened at once. Sometimes God gives us those quantum moments of liberation and deliverance that are instant. Don't you love those testimonies? I used to want to do this, and then God touched me, and now I'm totally free. But more often, it's kind of, have you ever noticed how daily life is? More often, it's daily. Putting off, putting on. So look at Philippians chapter 2, and I think we're going to just enjoy the words of Paul. Beginning with verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's all of us who've believed, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, and I would add a little word here, not, just, not looking to your own interests alone, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul gives one of the most beautiful hymns of our Lord, who being by very nature God, humbled himself, becoming one of us forever. If you need a boost in what it is to be a human being, consider the fact that in Jesus Christ, God forever became one of us. Jesus is forever human. Risen, glorified, tangible and touchable, he's forever one of us. And he who knew no sin, Paul will later say, earlier say to the Corinthians, became our sin offering that we might be completely justified, have no rap sheet toward us. And then in his resurrection, we see a preview of our future. 
So let's unpack this just for a moment before we prepare to go from this place and bring goodness to the world around us. In verse 1, Paul gives a healing vision. Look at verse 1. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing, tenderness and compassion. This healing vision. This is what happened when I walked into Cornerstone in 1973. People didn't care what clique I was in or how smart I was or good-looking or not good-looking I was. They were glad I was there. And moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and sisters and brothers all around me loving God and welcoming me in. What a healing vision. And then you begin to look at some healing decisions we can make, and it's, it's paradoxical. In addition to that forgiveness and that putting off, look what Paul says for us to do toward each other. Be like-minded. Be people of the same love. Look for unity of one mind. Don't be selfish. Value others. Can I give you the paradox? You begin to contribute to the healing of others and your healing accelerates. You begin to pray for and care for the good of others and you find the same, not just returning to you, but growing in you as well. A vision of wholeness a pathway, and then there's healing through the cross and the resurrection. And I'll just take you to the end of the text. I love this. Verse 9, as a result of his death and resurrect death on the cross, God exalted him in the highest place, gave him Jesus the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we now have been risen with him. So let me be practical and take us a little step toward emotional maturity this morning, a little step toward being liberated from our family systems where they were broken and yet being more loving and appreciative of the goodness that we've received. First of all, we need to know how to remember and forget wisely. Paul says, I want to forget the past. Well, you can't just, again, pretend it didn't exist. What he's getting at is, I want to see it correctly in light of Christ. The Bible tells us to remember the good things God's done. I'm going to choose to remember my mother's creativity and my father's brilliance. I'm going to remember the hugs and the love and the investment and the sacrifice. My dad deciding not to be a VP so he didn't have to travel and not be with his family. Remember him sharing that when I was seven years old. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that he was going to be home. I'm going to remember that, but I'm going to forget the brokenness, the rejection, in the sense of letting Christ heal it, letting it be tagged as forgiven and redeemed. And by the way, Every negative experience with the help of the Lord can be distilled into compassion and wisdom. When my wife was 12 years old, she was molested by her school principal and told no one and forgot all about it until the day my daughter was born. I have her permission, by the way. This is her testimony. And the day my daughter was born, by the way, the first girl in three generations, people didn't think selves produce girls. We're really glad. And Charlotte will be the first empress of Texas when they break away and become a, their own country. 
can I give you the good news? With some great counsel and some great prayer, God did an amazing healing. And my wife understood at that moment why she had been a little distant toward people at times. Not toward me, she had been very kind to me. And I just want to share with you, she's healed and yet wise and compassionate. And I know that's a tender area because some of us have some pretty deep wounds and some pretty, um, pretty places of, of pain. I want you to know that Christ is there and with the help of good counsel and with the help of sisters and brothers, those turn into compassion and wisdom. And we've watched the Lord begin to bring healing. So with the help of the Lord, we can remember and forget. We also need to release I've already shared this, but I want to bring it back again. We need to release and forgive. Now, that doesn't mean, and I want to be so careful here, that doesn't mean unwise boundaries. And let me give you a little phrase I'd like you to remember, uh, because I, some of my responses to difficulty is just to work harder and serve more. I want you to know that self-denial is not self-destruction. That to serve others wisely does not mean to cease being who you are. In fact, you can't really serve others well if you're not fully who you are. And I remember when I learned that, I still want to be a giver without expecting in return. But the Lord said in Psalm 16:6 that he puts boundaries in pleasant places. And so if there are toxic relationships, if there are situations that are compelling you to be other than the person God made you to be, Get your sisters and brothers around you and your spiritual advisors to help you and put boundaries, not of anger or bitterness, but of wisdom and pray for those who may be bringing that. And at the same time, you can be free now to serve others because God's loved us. I can serve you as my sisters and brothers without worrying what I might get in return because I've already received so much from the Lord. He's got healing this morning as we learn this kind of wisdom together. And then finally, we need to be people who continually renew our faith. Um, there's a reason Jesus gave us a bath and a meal as two of the great things we do together. Now, we don't need to be baptized again and again and again, but we do come to the table of the Lord again and again in our fellowship in our communion services, in our worship like this. And we need to renew our faith. And I'd like to give you two areas of renewal as we prepare to pray together and apply God's word together. Firstly, that we renew our gratitude and wonder for the grace of God. Again, if you're newer to the faith, Christianity does have real historical beliefs and real moral standards. But we are saved, we are made new by the activity of Jesus Christ, made alive by the Spirit in us. And our salvation doesn't rest with our perfect adherence to a set of rules, but complete loyalty to the one who would rather die than live without us. We were the joy set before Jesus as he went to the cross. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God dances over us with joy, rejoices over us with singing. You don't want to see me dance or sing, I assure you. My wife, wonderful choreographer, 
my daughter, four octave soprano, they got all those gifts. But I want you to imagine Father, Son, and Holy Spirit looking at you and saying, that's my daughter, that's my son. Oh, by the way, we can sometimes cause grief to God and he'll correct us and help us. So I want us to renew our gratitude and our wonder. And the second area of renewing our faith is trust for the future, that we are not our past, but God's promise. Our past has impact, and we've been talking about how to process it, but we are his promise. Remember, God's not taking us back to Eden, but forward to a new Jerusalem. He's not, he's not asking us to somehow go back and stay there but go back briefly to be redeemed, to go forward to a destiny that he set for us. In Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are his poema, his craftsmanship, workmanship, artisanship, his poem, his sculpture. We're his good work, and he's got good works prepared for us to walk in. Together, as Cornerstone, and individually as sisters and brothers walking with Christ. What do you say we thank God for our heritage, our family, our history, our experiences, and what do you say we thank God for a hope that says we're so much more than all of that in Jesus Christ? Would you join me in prayer? Hallelujah. Gracious and loving God, we thank you this morning that we can, we can be grateful for our history and yet liberated from its pathologies and hurts. We thank you right now for the many that poured into our lives as we grew into adults. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your crucifixion by which you forgive and heal and deliver we thank you, Jesus, you even understand our unanswered questions as you cried, why, on the cross. And by your resurrection, we now believe that we can live into a future liberated from our past. Lord, we now pray for the person on our right and our left, in front and behind us. Would you quietly do that? God, we pray that you would bring healing and hope that you would bring perspective and power, that you, Lord, would bring that those boundaries of protection and unleash service, humility, and joy going forward in each person here. God, we ask that you would bring into our life those that will help us let go of the past and put on the future well, we also ask that we could be part of the team that does that for others. Lord, thank you. We can go back in order to step into our future. We can remember your goodness and your protection. And we can forget our mistakes and leave aside those wounds and let you use us as those to bring healing to a world. 
And now, God, we go beyond ourselves and ask that as we step from here to your beautiful and broken world, that you would bless the work of our hands, that we would in turn be your lights to a world and offer the hope and the joy and the peace that is available through Christ. Thank you, Father, that you are also the Almighty who is Abba. Thank you, Jesus, you're the Sovereign who calls us your friends. Thank you, Spirit of God, your power created the cosmos, raised Jesus from the dead, and lives in us. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me be part of this with you this morning.